Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted and privileged to welcome a very senior and accomplished educator from New York, USA, talking to us currently from his home in Connecticut, Mr. Connor Grennan. Connor, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, Connor is the Dean of Students of the MBA program at the New York University Stern School of Business. He leads the Generative AI at Stern, a no-tech initiative uh, aimed at fostering generative AI fluency among NYU Stern students, faculty, and administration. He's an author, and all of you know I am very, very partial to authors. He's an author of a book titled Little Princes, One Man's Promise to Bring Home the Lost Children of Nepal. And we'll talk about his book. He's a recipient of the Unsung Heroes of Compassion awarded to him by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. And he's founder of Next Generation Nepal, a, a nonprofit organization dedicated to reconnecting trafficked children with their families. What an amazing journey, Connor. So before we start talking about NYU, tell me about your own journey in brief. Yeah, so I I grew up uh, where I am here in uh, in the United States. My father is Irish, my mother is American, and uh, you know went to college, everything else here. And then I decided that I just needed a new adventure, and so I ended up when I was 21 years old moving to Europe, moving to Prague uh, for about six and a half years, and working on peace and reconciliation there, mm. and then moving over to Brussels for another year and a half. So I really spent my 20s in Europe on peace and reconciliation in the Balkans. Wow. And then I decided, you know, I need to travel. So I spent a year traveling around the world and strangely enough, ended up uh, in Nepal just mm -hmm. really to, you know, I thought hike the mountains and everything like that. But I decided that I should do a little bit of volunteer work just to make, you know, my mom happy, really. And, you know, to make people think that I was a good guy. Mm -hmm. And I ended up in uh, during the war in Nepal, working in an orphanage there. Uh, for a little bit of time, and then discovered uh, throughout the course of this time working with this orphans that these were all actually trafficked kids and not uh, true orphans. Wow. And so anyway, long story short, I went around the world, I came back to Nepal, and I ended up starting an organization out there uh, during the during the war to rescue trafficked children and reunite them with their families. Mm -hmm. And then I met uh, my wife, who's American, I met her out there Ended up moving back to the United States. Of course, we still have Next Generation Nepal out mm -hmm. in Nepal. Went to business school at NYU. Uh, and because I'd been writing so much about my time in Nepal, I got a big book contract uh, with a book that ended up uh, being fairly successful. And so I ended up uh, writing the book. And then that took me back to Stern to be dean of students. And then in the last you know six months, we've seen the world blow up with generative AI. And I decided, okay, my wife is in artificial intelligence work. And I needed to provide this for my students. And so I, you know, really got very fluent on it, started training all our people on it. Amazing. And I was trying to get information from other people about it, found out that a lot of the world was still learning on it too. And that kind of brings me to Fascinating. today. Fascinating. Wow. What an amazing journey. So let's now talk about uh, the Stern School of Business, where you're the Dean of Students for the MBA program. Let me start by asking you, what is your vision for the future of the MBA program at NYU Stern? And how do you plan to adapt to changing business landscape? It's such a good question. We think about this all the time. So I was a student at NYU Stern, and I'm really uh, partial to the school. Uh, we have a, you know, a tech MBA program and fashion MBA program, and we have 
Uh, just some of, I think I'm biased, of course, but I think we really have some of the great uh, students and I love our community. Mm. And we really thought a lot about the future, especially now, uh, you know, because in the last few years, obviously, there's been, um, you know, much more of a push away from the very hard skills, which you have to learn in an MBA program, mm. to the soft skills, sort of like what you do on your show, I think, around leadership and what do people need to really bring out the best in other people. And I mm. think that's where we find as an MBA program as future leaders that's going to have the most value, not just can you do great spreadsheets, but how can you bring out the best in other people and make them feel right. really fulfilled and have purpose in their own life and in their own professional life. Mm. So that's sort of where we were going. And this was the evolution. And all of a sudden, evolution has sped up in the last six months with right. generative AI. And so now we've sort of pivoted our thinking slightly where we're thinking, well, what's even education look like? Mm. When you don't have uh, the ability to just test students in the same way you were able to test them in the past. And that raises questions of, well, what's important to learn? I mean, is it important? I, now, as a writer, I believe it's important to write. Correct. But is, you know, are writing papers the best proxy for grading, in other words? Like, mm. is this the best way of testing students' knowledge? Mm. Or do we have to come up with a whole new way of testing people and, and a whole new way of people thinking about education, even as a whole. Mm. And I believe that in an MBA program, especially a good MBA program, like we are part of, I think at NYU Stern, uh, what we really have to do is understand, well, what is it, what does leadership look like in this area? Mm. And also we have all these phenomenal people. So if we can get them more fluent on augmenting their own intelligence and experience with something like generative AI, mm. we can solve this problem together. Mm. And that's really what our last few months have looked like. How wonderful, how amazing. And my next question is, uh, and I've often wondered this, uh, you know, because I'm an MBA 42 years ago. <laughs> but, you know, there is a lot of focus now on the practical real world experiences uh, and how students are immersing themselves and what's really happening in the world outside. How do you balance the need for academic rigor with a focus on practical and real world experiences? Yeah, that's a bit. Of, I'm glad you bring it up because that's another real um, evolution in our in our program. Mm -hmm. Over the last, I would say, probably you know eight to ten years, we've really focused on what we call experiential learning. Mm -hmm. And as you know, the best way to learn is to do things right. and to experience them. And so, of course, we need to send you know our MBAs out into the world with you know the rigors that you talk about. They mm -hmm. need to have certain sort of qualifications in terms of quantitative and qualitative. Uh, skill sets. But mm. what you're talking about, I think, is really critical because this is how people actually learn. Mm. They learn through experience in a way that you don't necessarily learn from a textbook. Correct. Which is, I think, also why generative AI has been so exciting. So, mm. you know, I work on generative AI across industries and I consult with, uh, you know, industries uh, sort of, you know, across the, the spectrum of the corporate landscape. Mm. But one of them is in education. And one of the things that we think about a lot is you know, generative AI, because it allows you to, you know, create characters and scenarios and situations, mm. it really is allowing us to become much more experiential in how we learn. Mm. And I've even seen this with my own children who are in, uh, you know, 12 and 14 years old. Even they are creating, you know, when they talk about immigration, they'll make it a very experiential thing through right. generative AI rather mm. than just reading, this is, this person moved to this place. And so when we think about experiential, I think everything's experiential. And I think mm -hmm. when I'm, you know, when I do trainings for corporations uh, around how to use generative AI, one of the first things I say is use this experientially, use this to create, uh, you know, focus groups and characters and situations that you couldn't put yourself in. And it creates exactly that experience, like what you're mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. 
So I've got to ask you the question on generative AI because you're obviously very passionate about it. I'm not so well prepared, <laughs> but tell me a little bit about what is generative AI for my viewers and listeners and sure. how is uh, the Stern School of Business uh, doing some amazing work in this area led by you? Yeah, thanks for asking. So it's funny, right? I mean, I would have not even, you know, six months ago, we would have been having a very, very different conversation, but the world is changing so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think we're all racing to catch up. And what I always tell people is you're not behind, even though something like ChatGPT mm -hmm. uh, now has, you know, more users than, you know, anything else like in the history Correct. of the world. Correct. It's really not being used all that effectively. So I think that a lot of people feel like they're really behind. Mm -hmm. They're not, you're not, you're not behind. Nobody's behind. It's more Correct. just... We're all figuring this out together because it's so brand new. So when we talk about generative AI, we're really talking about this artificial intelligence, uh, like a ChatGPT or mm -hmm. like you know image generation from yep. text, which we'll have probably seen. But really, what I'm talking about is these sort of essentially chats where you can talk with this you know machine in this software mm -hmm. that really feels like a human. In fact, it's almost impossible to distinguish from a human. They've done a lot of tests where they've said, "Okay, write me a paper." And professors cannot tell whether it's written by mm -hmm. by a human or by the machine. And mm -hmm. this is fascinating because it really um, shifts how we think about uh, interacting with programs. Mm -hmm. So usually we're working with something like Google and you ask for something and you get it back. Like mm -hmm. give me the top 15 places to go see in Costa Rica or something. Right. And you're getting somebody else's opinion. Mm -hmm. ChatGPT, you can say, hey, my name's Connor and I have a wife and two kids and we really like adventure and we like coffee shops and we want to stay in a place around this. And ChatGPT will talk to you yep. as if it's a real person saying, well, this is probably what you'd like, Connor. And what do, you think about, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And it's incredibly, incredibly powerful Absolutely. just for over, pretty mm -hmm. much every application. And so mm -hmm. for us at Stern, what we're thinking is, well, gosh, if we can use this, not just to sort of create efficiency, an email to my boss, ChatGPT, mm -hmm. and it will do it within a second. Mm -hmm. But you can also say, hey, I'm thinking about a new performance management system for my company. How should I think about that? Mm -hmm. And it will talk to you like the most brilliant performance management guru in the world. Correct. And you can have a conversation. And the thing that excites me about it the most mm -hmm. is the fact that it really takes what you know and reflects that. It gets to know you and then is able to expand and expand and expand. Mm. And that's where generative AI is really changing everything. And that's why we hear it everywhere. Mm. It's the buzziest of buzzwords. That's I why know. we hear it everywhere. But why also we haven't sort of really had a chance to explore it so deeply because it's so powerful. Correct. No, no, you're so right. I mean, I'm 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 almost almost addicted to chat GPT, but now I but you know, there are many, many more things that I've got to experiment with. But one more question relating to Stern, and then we move to your book. Yeah. You know. The U.S. is the hub of startups and entrepreneurship, mm. the world's largest uh, country for startups and entrepreneurship. How does your program at Stern, uh, you know, play a role in developing entrepreneurs uh, within the MBA program? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up, too, because it's really an MBA program. When we bring people into the program, we're looking for entrepreneurs. Correct. We're looking for people who are self-starters. We're looking for people who have, you don't have to have an idea about what you, you know, a business you want to start. I don't mean that. I mean, kind of, I think what you're talking about, which is a real entrepreneurial mindset, mm. which is I'm going to come in and I'm going to, you know, I love your, the title of your program, a brand called you, because you want to build yourself. You want mm -hmm. to build who you are. You want to add what you can bring to the world and, and add that to sort of like the body of work of the world. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about startups and entrepreneurship, 
of course, we have our centers, you know, that are really focused on entrepreneurship where we have, you know, New York City is such a hub. Mm. So we have all these incredible incubators and everything like that for our students to participate in. Correct. But then NYU Stern, I think what we also do is try to integrate that throughout the student body and throughout every class. Mm. So every class, even if it feels like a little bit of a more normal class, let's say, it also incorporates kind of that entrepreneurialism where it's like, well, how would you approach this? How would you approach it? And not memorize this and go to here. Mm. And I think what that helps us do is really produce some of the great, you know, entrepreneurs, either where they're, you know, starting some of these massive companies, which would be great. Everybody would like to do that. Mm. But more importantly, even just getting into the workforce and acting as uh, a leader and an entrepreneur and really helping their own company, whatever that company is, mm. innovate and, you know, integrate their own sort of uh, entrepreneurial spirit to their to their team and create right. something where the world is really thinking about how to do work in a whole new way. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So I've got the one more question which I've got to ask is that how do you, uh, as the Dean of Students, envision the MBA program evolving over the next few years uh, and to remain relevant and continue to keep attracting top talent? I think I think it is one of the big questions that we have to face because you know, we can't live in a world where, um, you know, we're not back in 2005 or something where everybody's going to be an investment banker and we're just looking to churn out people to fill these slots. That's not what an MBA program should be about. <laughs> Excuse me. I think an MBA program should really be about how are we um, allowing people to evolve with the times, number one. So when they come out, how are they thinking about, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion? Mm. How are they thinking about purpose? How are they mm. thinking about leadership? And then beyond that, now and mm. most recently, how are they thinking about things like ChatGPT, mm. AI, generative AI? How are they thinking about how this remakes the world? Mm. And so if we get too locked into classes, which are critical, of course, statistics, accounting, all those things are critical. Mm. But we really have to recognize that we're in a place where artificial intelligence is starting to automate some of those skill sets to a certain mm. degree. Mm. And I think what the world is really yearning for and what we are really yearning for is a human interaction. Correct. And what we see is what drives people to stay at a place mm. versus go to a place, what drives people to be their most productive selves versus not. And a lot of that just comes from the leadership of the person immediately above them. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about the evolution of the MBA, I imagine something more like that, where we are like turning out people who are leaders, empathetic, understand purpose, understand diversity and belonging, everything else. And now increasingly understand how artificial intelligence will disrupt every industry. Well said, well said. You know, after hearing you speak about Stern, I was thinking, I wish I was young enough to have come back and applied to Stern. <laughs> yes, we loved it. Maybe as Indians believe in my next life, who knows? That's uh, right. That's right. We'll, we will welcome you back. <laughs> Thank you. So let's come move to your book now, Connor. Your book titled Little Princess, One Man's Promise to Bring Home the Lost Children of Nepal. I'm going to ask all our viewers and listeners to go and check out Mr. Connor Grennan's book. I'm going to check it out myself. Uh, so, you know, you told me very briefly about, you know, when you came back from Nepal, but I want to ask you the question again, what inspired you to write the book? You know, I had always been a writer. So everything that, you know, I kept a journal pretty much my entire life. So mm -hmm. I don't know if I was really inspired to become, I guess my father, was, you know, is a, is a writer. Uh, mm -hmm. So I always loved to write. I just loved to write and track my life and everything. But I never mm -hmm. thought about writing publicly, if that makes sense. I just kind of mm -hmm. always kept journals and wrote for my own amusement, really, Correct. to be honest. Correct. And then when I um, got to Nepal uh, and when I was traveling, especially, it was just a continuation. I was always writing down everything that I that I saw and everything like that. And I think this is always a great lesson for people who are aspiring writers as well, which is 
if you're an aspiring writer, just write, just mm-hmm. write. Don't worry about what's going to go out. So most importantly, keep writing. And secondly, be yourself. Don't try to copy somebody else's voice because whoever voice, who's ever voice you're trying to copy, mm. that's already out there. Everybody always want, already wants the big Stephen King books or something. Like they can go to Stephen King. They're not going to go Correct. to a bad version of my Stephen King. Correct. So be your own, be your own voice. And so what I found was that because I was always writing just for myself, mm. I wasn't worried about what the world thought about my writing. And so I was keeping a blog and that blog had a following to a certain extent and everybody was following along with my adventures in Nepal and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But then eventually when, you know, when I came back and I was featured in a couple of magazines for the, for the work that I had been doing and a literary agent found me and said, Hey, would you like to write a book? And I said, no, I'm too busy. Thank you though. And this is when I was getting my MBA. I was very busy and I was running next generation Nepal. And she said, well, listen, I've looked at your blog. You've really already written the book. Mm. That's the other thing that why writers could, should keep on writing. You have to right. produce content. You can't just mm. sit down one day and write 300 pages. Mm. So she saw how much I had already written. She said, let's turn this into a book. And that's what we did. Wow. Wow. So my next question is that, you know, you spent a lot of time with children. Uh, and as you said, a lot of them were trafficked children. How did your relationship with the children at the Little Prince's orphanage develop and what impact did it have on you? Yeah, you know, it's it's sort of funny because it's a little bit embarrassing because I will admit that when I first got to Nepal, I wasn't, I didn't love kids. I didn't even really like kids. I'll be honest. I got out there and I thought I'm going to volunteer in an orphanage in Nepal because I'm sure to my friends back in the US, they'll think that sounds very exotic and interesting. <laughs> And I thought, ah, this this will make me sound like a great person. Mm. And so I wasn't going out because I wanted to help the children of the world. And I'm a little ashamed to admit that, but that's mm. the truth. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I'll tell you what, once I got out there and I got to be with the kids and live with them for you know several months mm. uh, in this little uh, village, I couldn't help but just they felt they started to feel like little brothers and sisters. Mm. And you can't care about something or someone and not really grow to love it at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, whether it's you know, whatever whatever that is. And so in mm. this case, I really grew to love them and we became, became very close and so much so that I decided, mm. you know, when I'm done with this year-long trip around the world, I'm going to come back here again mm. for three months or something and yeah. just live with them again because I really love them. Wow. And that's when we discovered, or I discovered, I guess, that uh, these kids actually had parents, kind of a longer story, but like kind of had parents and were actually trafficked. And that's when I realized, oh, these kids don't just need some care and attention. They mm. actually need to find where their families are because they were lost from their families who mm. lived in very remote regions of, uh, of the Himalaya. Wow, wow. And uh, could you share any interesting memories with maybe a few, few children without any names, of course? Yeah, of course. I mean, like, yeah, I, I share a lot in the book. I'm super happy to. I mean, you know, one of the amazing things was just sort of like how much, and I know it sounds a little cliche to say, oh, they taught me so much, but they really did. I mean, because I got out there and I had my own way of looking at the world, which was a very American centric way of looking at the world. And so, you know, when you grow up in in one place as I did, uh, you know, you start to think like, that's the way you see the world. And this is the right way to see the world. And when I got out to Nepal and I was with the kids, it was amazing how, um, you know, just sort of like how they taught me about life and how to, you know, value certain things and time and just be quiet together and not have to be running around all the time. And, you know, how to value things like, you know, food and little things and just like the small joys and things like that. I know it sounds a little kind of almost corny or cheesy, mm. but I really mean it. It's it's when you're coming from a place like New York to there mm. and you just realize, oh, this isn't like the way I'm doing my life. It 
there's other ways to do it too. And so I think with the kids, they were just all funny. They had no, uh, they had no problems like, you know, making fun of me all the time and everything mm-hmm. like that, which was, mm-hmm. which was amazing. But, and I would take them to school and help them learn. And then they would help me learn, uh, you know, things about their culture and everything like that. So mm-hmm. to me, it was really just about the everyday bonding that was so powerful to me. Wow. wow. So time for three more questions. Uh, my next question is about next generation Nepal. Tell me a little bit about what you are doing there and how did this evolve or how, how how has this evolved over the years? Yeah, so it's about uh, the organization now is, gosh, it's over maybe 16, 17 years old yeah. now. And so it all started, you know, when I when I got out there and then and I didn't mean to start an organization. But what happened was, uh, you know, we were taking in kids who are sort of out on the street. And then uh, there was one group of kids that we ended up taking in and then uh, then they got kind of kidnapped away from us essentially. And I realized, oh my gosh, I have to go find them. But that was going to be very difficult to find just lost children mm-hmm. in a country like Nepal with no information whatsoever. And so I realized, okay, I need to formalize this process. So I started Next Generation Nepal, which was just me and a laptop. I had no aspirations for it, yeah. but it allowed me just to go back and live in Nepal and live in Kathmandu and just search for the children. So that's what I did. I just searched for these uh, children that I knew were missing. And then once we found them, I realized, well, we now know the war had just ended. It was 2006. Mm. The war had just ended. And I realized, okay, we have to now go find their family. Their families are living in very remote regions, uh, kind of on the border with Tibet. Mm. Very, very remote regions where there's no roads leading in or out. There's no water, electricity, anything, right? Mm. You can imagine. Mm. And so I said, okay, so I guess I have to try to just go find them. So Mm. I got a small sort of a small team together. And we just started walking through the mountains for weeks mm. at a time, just mm. with photographs of the kids, searching for the families of the kids. Wow. And that's kind of how Next Generation Nepal got started. And, um, you know, and over the years, we've really evolved from just, you know, rescuing traffic kids, reuniting with their families to also trying to do uh, trafficking prevention and working with the government and everything mm. else. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for all that you're doing there. Uh, you. my, my next question uh, is about a general question on child trafficking and the fact that you've done so much work. My question is, what, in your view, are some of the effective ways to combat this big menace in the world? Boy, yeah, you know, it is a powerful menace indeed. And it's and one of the things that makes it so hard is that, you know, like any crime like this, there's money in it for people and they are very motivated to make money. Correct. And, you know, it just, we just have to make sure that our motivation for protecting children is stronger mm. than their motivation for making money mm. or that we harness the fact that we have more good guys on our side than they have bad guys on their side. Mm. And I think the, the, the thing that really harms us the most in these situations is just people not knowing about it. Mm. And so what I really encourage people to do is, and it doesn't have to be through Next Generation Nepal, but just learn about what child trafficking looks like. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm very obviously partial to Nepal and, you know, rescuing those kids there, of yeah. course. Uh, but but everybody has to have their own uh, passion. That's mine. But I would just really encourage people just to learn about what's happening. Because, mm. you know, if you get 20 people to learn about what's happening, maybe one will do something about it. And that's not a judgment. It's just, you know, people have a lot of stuff going on. But the more people, statistically speaking, the more people that know and the more people that are, you know, moved by a story, mm. the more people that will come and help. And I think that that is just sort of like number one. It's the most important weapon in our arsenal. Well said, well said. And my last question to you, Connor, and this is for the thousands of people who will listen to us. A lot of them will probably be, you know, aspiring students at uh, Stern. Yeah. 
what advice would you give to prospective MBA students as they navigate the application process for Stern? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, we're um, obviously I love uh, I love Stern and there's a lot of great MBA programs yeah. out there as well. What I would say is, you know, listen, number one with academics is, you know, you always have to work hard in school. I mean, it's just, Correct. you know, if this is your path, then that has to be your commitment. That's really Correct. that's really number one. But it's not just that. Right. It's mm -hmm. also, I would say, <laughs> understanding you know, who you are as a person and what you want to do. Hmm. I think that what we really look for at Stern is yeah. understanding, first of all, are people able to handle the uh, academic workload? Yeah. And also, have they done interesting things in their life? Like, have they taken yeah. risks experientially? Hmm. You know, you sort of talked about experience. What's hmm. been their work experience? Have they gone out? Have they taken chances? Have they tried to start something? Have they taken risks? Have they, it doesn't have to be dramatic. They don't have to have traveled the world and done all that. Mm. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking yeah. for people, even in their hometown where they've said, hey, you know, I tried to start this business doing this, or I started this nonprofit doing this, or I did. Mm. It that shows that they can see outside themselves and into okay. the world and understand the impact that they can have on the world when they put their mind to it. Mm. That's really the most important thing I would say that we're looking for. I would mm. say, you know, academics, test scores, all those kinds of things, of course. Mm. But really like, you know, what do you do in your spare time? Mm. Like, how mm. do you try to, you know, not just make the world a better place, but the more interesting place, whether it's through you know the corporate world, the nonprofit world, it doesn't matter. As long as they're really throwing themselves into it and have a passion, that's what we love to see. Amazing. And on that note, Connor, and what you just told us about how important it is for people or students to have a life beyond just marks and grades and so on, which is what you look for. Thank you so much for speaking to me about your incredible journey and all the great work that you've done. Thank you for talking to me about Stern School of Business, the great work that you are doing. Thank you for speaking to me about uh, generative AI. And maybe at some stage, I'll come out, come back to you and say, let's do another session only on artificial intelligence. Thank you also for talking to me about entrepreneurship at Stern. And finally, thank you for talking to me about your book and the incredible work that you're doing in, are you, and in Nepal, not just uh, through your book, but also through Next Generation Nepal. Thank you for speaking you. to me and good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.